Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. And joining us today are two key members of the National Innovation uh, Ecosystem, Steve Blank, a Silicon Valley pioneer and founder of the KNS Ranch, who is an adjunct professor with the Department of Management and Engineering at Stanford University, and his co-conspirator, Dr. Joe Felter, a former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for South Asia, Southeast Asia, and Oceania, who is now the director of the Gordian Knot Center for National Security uh, Innovation at Stanford University. He's also the co-director of the university's empirical studies of conflict uh, project, uh, he is also a co-author, a co-author of Hacking for Defense, which is a defense innovation-focused academic program uh, that he developed and piloted at Stanford. That spread to some three do- uh, dozen universities worthwhile. He is also uh, one of the founders of BMNT, a strategic consultancy. Gentlemen, it is an honor and pleasure uh, having you on the program. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank- thanks for the chance to join you, Vago. Uh, An absolute uh, pleasure, Steve. uh, Welcome back, Joe. I can't believe it's been so long, but glad to have you aboard uh, as well. And before we get started, Leonardo DRS sponsors our global coverage, Fortress Information Security sponsors our weekly cyber report, and Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy, and HII sponsored our coverage of the Navy League's annual sea airspace conference and trade show, and Bell sponsored our coverage of uh, the Army Aviation Association of America's annual uh, symposium. And I should point out for our audience, Steve is a proud uh, veteran of the United States Air Force uh, of the Vietnam uh, era. And I should say that Joe is a retired United States Army uh, Colonel and uh, uh, Special Forces uh, 75th Ranger uh, alumni. let me let me start with you, uh, Joe. Um, I'd like to start with the Gordian Knot Center. Um, I know that that you, uh, one of your other co-conspirators, Raj Shah, uh, who was a uh, DIUX uh, leader uh, as well, you guys founded the Gordian Knot Center to actually, rather than use the thousand flowers bloom analogy and then harvest flowers that might solve problems, you're all about actually, how do we define the hard problems in order to be able to, to uh, solve them? Talk to us a little bit about how the center is is different from from others operating in the field now. Well, Vag, I think it touched on on a number of them. Uh, you know, we're, we're we're trying to solve problems, and and, and you know, I'm like, we're in academia here at Stanford. Stanford, uh, at the risk of sounding a little elitist, it, it's a very special university. Even uh, you know, being right here in the heart of Silicon Valley and in this you know the epicenter of this innovation ecosystem, and I would argue the defense innovation ecosystem itself. Um, so we're in a special place, and we're trying to harness. Um, there's just the embarrassment of, of resources we have here, but these, these amazing students at Stanford, uh, you know, we've got the emerging technologies right down the street, defense innovation, you know, down the street, um, all the private capital here on a Sand Hill Road. So there's, there's so much here in this ecosystem. So we, uh, uh, you know, I had a ch- chance to, to work with Steve uh, way back in 2015, uh, you, you know, meeting him kind of changed the direction of my career. Um, as far as my, my focus, uh, when, when we started to talk about building this hacking for, for defense curriculum, and without going into too much detail there, uh, we found that, you know, students have given the opportunity to work on hard problems could really make amazing progress. And, and, and as you mentioned earlier, that, that, that curriculum is now scaled to over 60 universities. Um, why we, I think the students were solving some important problems in our Hacking for Dense program, and they really are. Uh, we were inspired by a course that uh, we developed uh, last fall, uh, Steve Blank, Rosh Shah, and I. 
um, called Technology Innovation and Great Power Competition. And, and that was, of course, where we tried to keep that problem-solving focus, but kind of expand the types of problems we, we looked at solving, still using Steve's lean methodology at, at its core, but looking at the policy challenges, uh, you know, operational challenges, the types of challenges that, that we hadn't looked at in, in, in Hacking for Defense and some of the other Hacking for classes, um, but you're still using that robust methodology to you know, get out of the building, so to speak, and, and talk to people and figure out how we might uh, you know, address these really important uh, challenges using the incredible, you know, talent we have here at Stanford and all the resources we have here in Silicon Valley. So um, I think our center, you know, there's a lot of good centers, a lot of good initiatives going on across the country, but I think it's our problem solving focus, um, our, 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 the way we bring together, you know, engineers and, and, and policy specialists, you know, all together in one team to, to solve a, a challenge. Um, and uh, we're really encouraged by the, the results so far. And uh, we're going to expand as we did for Hacking for Events. I hope we get more, more and better quality folks involved in, in the problem solving process uh, through the center and, and uh, you know, the, those other, uh, you know, as we expand going forward. Um, I should uh, also uh, point out that um, whenever I've had an opportunity to tune into some of your guys' lectures and especially the student presentations, it is really staggering uh, what these uh, guys, I mean, obviously a, at a graduate level, but even at an undergraduate level, are actually being able to produce in terms of thoughtful, um, you know, thoughtful approaches and, and how, you know, a lot of them are thinking in, I think, you know, it was one of the intentions of truly interdisciplinary process. Uh, Steve, let me uh, bring you into this, right? I mean, uh, a, a friend recently uh, quipped, you know, I said, I was going to talk to you guys. And he said, you know, um, the, you know, quip that the uh, that innovation will have moved ahead when these sort of centers are ultimately, you know, we, we disband them and are not creating them. Uh, you've been uh, in the innovation ecosystem for a long time and looking at how to solve the, the department's problems, right? I mean, one of the challenges is the Pentagon, for all of its abilities, sometimes has trouble prioritizing. Uh, and so and also has trouble sometimes being honest about the nature of its problems, right? And and therefore we don't really frame them as accurately as we would, as we should, in order to be able to solve them. From your standpoint, what are sort of the big problems that need solving? Um, you know, and and how can you help the Pentagon more clearly think about what those problems are to help solve them? Well, that that's a semester-long class, but given we have a half hour, I'll try, I'll try to be brief. Um, so, you know, on a, on a couple axes, number one is, um, you know, and as Joe mentioned, one of the reasons we, we started the center and, and have been trying to work with the DOD is for the first time in the history of the Department of Defense, the DOD no longer owns or controls the technologies necessary to deter or win a war. If you think about it, in the last 10 years, AI, machine learning, quantum, access to space, biotech, autonomy, we could, the list keeps going on, except for maybe hypersonics and nuclear weapons, thank goodness, are, are no longer owned by the DOD. They're driven by commercial activities. Yet the DOD still has an ecosystem designed to, to deal with FFRDCs and primes as the sole provider at scale of, uh, of uh, weapon systems. And that's just insane. Um, you know, currently we have still in the Department of Defense, world-class people and world-class organizations. Unfortunately, they're for a world that no longer exists. Um, and uh, while we've made, you know, innovation theater efforts to, to change, the problem is, is when we keep appointing the same people we would have appointed 10 years ago, you're not going to get any change because they fundamentally have never run a lemonade stand, let alone a business. And when you look at what China has done in the last five years, you know, even the SecDef's report to Congress this year, and at least the 2021 report, had five pages on Chinese military civil fusion. 
And I wish we would have read it in the rest of the DOD because it kind of lays out a roadmap that if we can at least be innovative about, we should at least copy. Um, the PRC has understood that this is where the future defense will be. Um, the tight integration of uh, military, civilian, academia, et cetera. Um, and I, our difference in the US is of course, we could do it with incentives rather than the Chinese model of co coercion. Um, but in the, in the long range view to answer your question, um, you know, if we want to keep pace with our adversaries, we really need a radical reinvention of this relationship with uh, civilian organizations and the military. And that would use an, uh, DOD funding, private capital, dual use startups, existing primes, and federal labs in a really uh, new configuration. And I could talk about that later, but how about that for an opening shot? It, it, it does work as an opening shot. And I should tell our audience that you're actually uh, between classes. So uh, what, what folks are hearing in the background is, uh, is you actually doing, uh, doing your, your good work with your uh, students. Um, Joe, let me ask you about some of the big problems, right? I mean, so Steve talked about sort of a new framework that we need in order to try to do this uh, that many of us have been discussing for a, a long time, right? I mean, a need to be able to cross-connect and to be able to actually move much, much faster. There is some evidence that we're moving a little bit faster, but from your standpoint, how are we doing in the ability to define what the big problems are that need solving, right? I mean, if you go to DIU and you talk to Mike Brown, you talk to Stoike down in Austin, uh, they will tell you that actually you got to define the problems we need to solve if you're going to harness uh, the right thinking in order to solve them. From your standpoint, in the work that you guys are doing, what are the definition of the big problems that we need to solve, right? Because it can get pretty amorphous pretty quickly, right? I mean, the problems you have to solve depends on what it is the person is selling, right? If, if you're selling C-130Js, every solution, to every problem is more C-130Js, right? I'm not busting on Lockheed. I'm just giving that as an example, uh, in part because I'm looking at my C-130J model. <laughs> so give us sort of your sense on what the problems are that we need to be solving and, and at least need to be focusing on. Well, I think Steve touched on it a bit, but I think ever the optimist, so the encouraging news is, you know, I think we encourage we understand that we do have a problem you know that we understand that we you know the 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 way to identify and acquire the types of you know weapon systems defense platforms to prevail in the cold war uh, you know is are not going to work today you know that um you know that that, that the emerging technologies the technologies that are going to help us compete and and you know in the current fight and in the future fight are going to come out of the commercial technology base and we have to find ways to identify it and, and, and deploy it at speed uh, and scale and quickly. So I think we know what we need to do, but the, the challenges, you know, and again, Steve's, uh, I, I just love the way he described it. You know, we have the, the, the systems and the people, for, you know, best in the world, but if a world no longer exists, and sorry for a bad paraphrase there, Steve, but um, so the good is we, we, we know we have a problem, but, and we're making slow progress to getting there. I mean, there's some real visionaries out there. Uh, you mentioned Defense Innovation, or their, their director, Mike Mike Brown, uh, there's, he, he's a visionary. Uh, people like uh, Admiral uh, Lauren Selby, the, the Chief of Naval Research, uh, running our Office of Naval Research right now, they, they both have written similar work. Uh, here, here's an example, Vago, uh, if this is appropriate, you know, looking at, you know, what they call a head strategy, you know, where we're really trying to shift to where we need these you know, small unmanned and many systems, attributable systems, um, as opposed to the large uh, legacy exquisite systems that, you know, the aircraft carriers and the submarines and fighters that we fought the last century's war with. So a long way of saying is we, we know we have a problem. We know what we need. You know, I would say uh, 
you know, like, like this, this uh, hedge strategy approach that encouraged uh, the listeners to, 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 to Google and, and follow up on. Um, but we still are using the same acquisition. So we're still not configured to, to get there. But uh, there's some great work going, going on across DOD. You know, you, 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 you've heard about, you know, certainly DIU, the you know, AppWorks, SoftWorks, NavalX. We, we know we have a problem. We're trying to get at it, but we just need to do much more, much faster to get there. Um, so uh, overall, I'm encouraged that we know we have a problem, but but I am uh, concerned that you know we may not solve it fast enough uh, before it's too late. Um, you know, we, we see. Uh, let me just use one example. Vago is sure. you know that that Russian battleship that was sunk uh, a couple weeks back. You know, let's make that our wake up call that we need that that that, that, that we we are <laughs> configured to ad address a, a a a threat that no longer exists and that we need to we need to defend and fight differently. Let, let's not let's not make it. That's not require a thousand Americans to, to perish off the Taiwan Strait when when, when a ship sinks to, to to have that wake up call. Let's let's piggyback on the Russians and let's make that our wake up call. You know our 9/11 moment. You know our Pearl Harbor moment where we know we got to think and act differently. Uh, and and it was a, an extraordinary strike, right? I mean, Ukrainian weapons uh, apparently two of them uh, sank. Uh, what was the flagship? Uh, of uh, the Russian uh, Black Sea Fleet, and indeed, I think it's the largest weapon, uh, largest ship sunk uh, since uh, the HMS Conqueror sank uh, the uh, cruiser uh, General Belgrano uh, during the Falklands War. 40, 40 uh, years uh, on Monday, uh, actually. Wow. Steve, um, can can you give us a sense uh, of, despite all this idea, all this activity, right? Um, what problems are being solved, right? I mean, because there's this sense among some that in, in some cases, this has sort of become like a like an ecosystem that's surrounded it, right? That it's it's somehow some a big self-licking ice cream cone, right? What, what are the deliverables from your standpoint? Because um, I know you've argued that it's both uh, the change in approach that's necessary, but that it's actually generating solutions. Talk to us a little bit about the solutions that are actually coming out of this for those people who, who look at all this with some skepticism that, you know, hey, this, this is this is really about, you know, a lot of talking and a lot of Silicon Valley stuff, some um, uh, charlatanry uh, associated with it, right? Uh, and as opposed to deliverables, whereas actually you see this as deliverables, both culturally as as well as uh, materially. Sort of walk us through, you know, how this needle is actually being moved ahead in this process. Yeah, well, I'd start with that that first statement uh, that you made here, uh, usually done by people who sit in buildings without windows for too long of a time. Um, just as a reminder, Silicon Valley, uh, and I say that not as the physical place, but the innovation ecosystem, uh, investors uh, put $200 billion into new technology ventures just in the last year. That's 50% greater than the DOD's R&E budget. Um, and they work with dramatically different speed, uh, dramatically different concepts of risk and failure um, and get outcomes at uh, dramatically different timeframes. You know, the DOD is organized, uh, for at least for the, for the last couple of decades, when we were focused on non-nation states and didn't have a pacing competitor. Uh, I just want to remind your audience that China's modeled its uh, military uh, ecosystem uh, on, on Silicon Valley, not on the Department of Defense. Just to look at the number of ships and types of ships they put in the water in the last 15 years. Um, look at the number of aircraft and aircraft types. Look at what they're doing to their uh, 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 nuclear weapons uh, facilities. 
uh, you know, for us at the Gordian Knott Center for Hacking for Defense, sitting in my class a couple years ago was a startup who had this crazy idea to put uh, um, synthetic aperture radar uh, CubeSats in orbit. And of course, uh, back then, NRO wouldn't even talk to commercial vendors, let alone think about, you know, SARB uh, CubeSats. That, that was the domain of Battlestar Galacticus. Um, here in Ukraine, all the uh, pictures you see through clouds are from that one company called Capella Space with satellites already on orbit. Um, there's a whole series of satellite com, um, uh, small drones, et cetera, that have come out of uh, Silicon Valley through DIU, which is dedicated to finding, funding, and interfacing uh, commercial technology with the DOD. Unfortunately, it's kind of uh, Ash Carter's, you know, abandoned orphan child because the rest of the DOD hopes it goes away. And the reason why is because the DOD budget's a zero-sum game. Um, if we, in fact, have to create a new ecosystem with new vendors who know how to make things cheap, fast, small, attritable, uploadable, you know, new model doesn't require another contract, but a software upgrade, that breaks the business model of uh, almost every existing prime. Um, and so there are a lot of people who are happy to say that, you know, we hope these things go away and they don't deliver. That's what they said about SpaceX, which now the country is dependent on for you know, access to space. Um, so I could go on, but... Um, Usually transition is painful. It's extremely painful for the people who've lived their lives in one model and are now faced with not just incremental change, but disruptive change. Your job changes, who you deal with changes, the organizations change, et cetera. This is probably as, as wrenching as the, the change from sail to steam or, or from horses to, to, to tanks and from cavalry to, to, you know, to, ar to armor. Um, and, and there were still people hawking, you know, horse blankets and horseshoes in the 1930s. That's about where we are today. Uh, and, and as I said, it's, it's not going to come easy. The problem is, is whether it comes with the, you know, the battleships at the bottom of Pearl Harbor when we discovered that, thank goodness, we had hedges like aircraft carriers and subs um, right. because the battleship model didn't work anymore. So I think that's where we are today. Uh, well, Joe, I want to uh, take uh, go, go over to you, and I should point out, right, uh, AVEX, uh, aerospace, the developer of the Ghost uh, Phoenix, right? The United States Air Force accelerated this loitering munition program and put it into production in order to be able to rush it into the hands of uh, Ukrainian forces uh, that that need um, this uh, kind of uh, game-changing capability. And I think, Steve, you know, you touched on it uh, earlier in your comments, and so do you, did you, Joe, that, you know, we need to be able to blend these capabilities, the exquisite capabilities with the commodity uh, and, and create a... Um, you know, a, a new uh, approach. Uh, before I go to my next question, just a quick word from our sponsors. GM Defense sponsors our technology coverage and L3 Harris sponsors our coverage of Joint All Domain Command and Control. Joe, what are you seeing as somebody who built a reputation uh, as um, an innovator when you were in, in uniform and certainly focused on the innovation challenge, uh, both at BMNT, but also as on the uh, Stanford uh, faculty, um, where you also, I should point out, earned, earned your PhD and you're a West Point grad and um, also went to that other university with an H, uh, I believe, in Cambridge. Um, That's the Stanford of the East. Um, the Stanford of the East. I'm sure I'm sure that they they absolutely love being called that, uh, at least at least similar colors. Right. Um, where where how where do you see progress? Where do you see not progress? Because the, the we need a, an ecosystem change. And yet that ecosystem is not 
really changing as quickly as it needs to. I mean, there are some very encouraging signs, but from your standpoint as somebody who's living in it, looking at it, helping drive it, um, where where are we doing better? Where are we not doing better, right? How do you you gauge it? Because as Steve said, we're we're sort of still in the 1930s, right? We're we're still selling buggy whips and horseshoes at the same time we're, you know, developing monoplane fighters and getting to mechanization and what have you to continue that analogy. You know, and I, I, I mentioned a bit earlier, but I get, I think the progress is recognizing we have a problem and having some real visionary leaders that, that you know, really uh, understand that we, we need to change. And, but I think where we're not making progress is okay. We know we've got this problem, but, but so let's, let's give it the resources and the attention it's needed to, to, to address it. I mean, I, I Steve, I think you wrote about this in one of your recent War in the Rock articles about, look at Defense Innovation Unit, for, for example. I mean, this is a great visionary effort by, by then Secretary of Defense Ash Carter. It's, it's exactly what we needed, but it's like, you know, almost criminally underfunded. You know, this is just what we need. We know we need it, but we're defunding it, uh, which is just shocking to, to me. Um, it's, it's something that's proven its value and needs to continue. Um, but again, the progress is, and we've, we, Things like I mentioned, AFWorks, the, the Naval X, the, the services are, are getting behind uh, efforts to identify commercial technology and, and, and help identify it and, and, and deploy it at, at the speed we need. But it's just nowhere near, near, near fast enough. Um, you know, it, here's one thing I hope is encouraging. We, we really make, we, we really change at the speed that's needed is during wartime. Look what we did, you know, between December 1941 and, and VE Day and VJ Day. I mean, just, just extraordinary progress that, that we made in advances in technology. Um, well, let's not wait till it's our war. And let's just look at Ukraine and again as an example. If, if we could only be inspired and, you know, by, you know, what's going on right now as we see, you know, the Russian armor just getting destroyed by, by, by cheap, attributable drones, as we see, again, you mentioned, you know, these huge, ships uh, sinking, uh, you, you know, in, in ways that, you know, we, we, we knew was happening, but we, but no one changed. So so let, let's use that ship, that Russian ship sinking again, uh, Vagalus. We know this is going to happen to us in the Taiwan Strait if we don't change, you know, shame on all of us, you know. You know, I think there's, a, I think um, Chris Bros uh, had a term on the military industrial uh, congressional, uh, he, he added a third leg to that, uh, uh, that, 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 that the military industrial complex, it's the military industrial congressional complex. You know, we make these big systems in 48 states, you know, there's just going to take a lot. It's going to be really hard to change, but we have to change. Um, we're going to have a lot of dead Americans out there in the next conflict. We know what's happening. We see the train about to crash. Shame on us if we, if we don't change in time to, to, to protect you know, our men and women serving and to prevail in the next conflict and make sure that, uh, you know, the, the, the world order that we, that, that, <laughs> We underwrite as 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 the leader of this free world uh, uh, continues going forward. Um, I, I should uh, I should point out actually I um, early in my career one of the great honors was uh, getting to know and interview General Andrew Goodpaster who is uh, sure. Dwight Eisenhower's National Security Advisor and one of the things uh, that uh, he had said was apparently in his original speak uh, speech Ike was going to say uh, defense industrial congressional com complex. And uh, good pastor went to Eisenhower and said, sir, are you sure on the eve of, of, <laughs> of the inauguration of a new president, you want to put him in a battle with Congress? And Eisenhower was like, great, 
great point. Uh, crossed out congressional. And so it became his defense industrial that's complex. That's a great a military industrial idea. complex. Uh, yeah, so exactly. our friend Chris Bros, I wanted to give him credit, but at least he waited. He got out of uh, he, 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 right he, well. he, he deserves credit for <laughs> resuscitating the notion and the nature of the challenge. Let me put it that way. I have a lot of respect for for Chris and how he's trying to move uh, the needle and, and certainly how Andrew is putting its money where its mouth is uh, in, in, in terms of trying to do that. Um, uh, Steve, let me let me go to you and ask you, you know, I mean, we're in an increasingly, uh, you know, uh, I, I mean, this uh, not politically right. Every American administration uh, wrestles with by American, uh, some hue uh, more toward it. Um, the exigencies of the war, uh, Joe, uh, you know, you uh, were, you know, been there, done it and gotten the T-shirt. And so we opened up. Uh, in a way that we hadn't in decades for foreign ideas, uh, in part because we needed the best ideas, whether it was electromagnetic, you know, in electronic warfare, armor, munitions, uh, and we drew from our allies and partners. Um, and then, um, you know, in the last administration, in this administration, there's a lot of bi-American uh, talk. Hacking for defense uh, by design is, is a global effort. How, how do we need, and I, and I think, Steve, you know, you, you struck on this, all right, I, I think any good idea is worth copying, whether it comes from China, Russia, or anywhere else. What's the kind of approach that we need to try to do this as by allied, think allied, hack allied, right? How, how do we need to be thinking about this? Because actually, if you if you actually are saying like, no, you know, my solutions have to be American, they've got to be veteran owned, they've got to be small business, they've got to be big, you know what I mean? It have to be domestic. It may not necessarily be the right approach. And I'm not trying to cast dispersion on anybody, right? We have a tendency of trying to define these down. How do we need to actually define this big? Well, I think this is going to be part of a, a much bigger solution. It's pretty clear that at least the current Department of Defense uh, can't even get their heads around a problem, let alone a solution. It might actually, um, and, and I'm just talking about the, the, the new version of the DOD that actually does civil military fusion with our allies or without them. It's going to require another Goldwater Nichols. And, and I'm actually uh, actually a little heartened to see both sides of the aisle starting to come to that conclusion. Uh, I think the integration of allies, uh, you know, might be just part of something that big. Um, and, and I just want to point out, by the way, I've been harping on technology as the disruptor, but I just want to remind your audience, and, and most who listen understand that, is disruptive technology leads to disruption in concept of operations. Um, you, you know, those will create new things we had never expected or seen on the battlefield. Um, that the tech ends up as enablers of, uh, you know, we've just seen, I think, just the beginnings of what happens when you put drone swarms above the battlefield of whether they're ISR or whether they're actually having kinetic, uh, 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 kinetic effects. Um, imagine that connected to an AI battlefield system that's making decisions faster than human beings connected to networks of, uh, of sensors, the networks of things in space and underwater, et cetera where human beings may or may not even be involved in, uh, in decision-making for a good chunk of this stuff. I, I think the DOD that is capable of doing that um, is, is obviously a global one, sourcing the best from any one of our allies um, and, and harnessing the hundreds of billions of dollars that's a force multiplier for the DOD budget that's sitting outside untouched. Um, we could beat China at this game, but so far we're just doing it with the uh, both hands tied behind our back with people who have never run a lemonade stand, let alone a business. Um, 
Uh, Joe, let Back me ask you. Uh, yeah, no, I uh, no, I, I, I appreciate where you're coming from, Stephen, and, and your uh, fr frustration, uh, because I think that it's been evident for a long time that change is necessary. The question is how to achieve that change. You mentioned a Goldwater-Nichols process, which may actually be the right way. And I know the chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee, Jack Reed, has talked about sort of a, um, a BRAC process to get rid of potentially systems that we don't need. Part of the challenge here that a lot of people see is we're not investing enough, right? So so we're looking to take risk without necessarily maintaining some of our handholds, right, before we sundown some of this uh, capability. Um, you know, Joe, you you both had the honor and pleasure of uh, serving in uniform, then serving uh, in uh, a uh, executive capacity uh, in the department, clearly, you know, in, in, the, in Asia and in the Asia Pacific. Talk to us a little bit about how we need to drive this change, because this is a change that has to happen at a much higher level. Um, there is uh, some evidence that uh, the senior leadership in the department is focused on this and interested in blending this capability. And, and I can understand uh, the need to not be specific about the problems you want to solve, which I know is a little bit of the challenge in terms of the question I asked earlier, uh, because we, we don't want to te telegraph some of this stuff. From your standpoint, are we are we are we moving the needle? And what next has to happen, right? That goes beyond whether or not we're supporting DIU in in the way we should, or or in subordinate programs, right? I mean, there are some in the department who look at this as, you know, AFWorks, Softworks, right? NavalX, all of these guys are are getting money. Uh, right, there are more sources of money. I should point out, uh, Admiral Selby and the Office of Naval Research is, is one of the underwriters of the Gordian Knot Project. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about materially what next has to happen if if we're going to be able to to move this. Aside from the shock value of seeing Moskva sink and and some very clear battlefield evidence that you know, depending on the technology you have, you can actually change the outcome. If I could maybe uh, add to the the question on. on you know, bringing allies and partners in, into the equation, if, if that's related enough to this question. And this, uh, and I'll, I'll try to segue into hit, hitting your question directly, but um, you know, expanding on what Steve said, I mean, I this is really informed by, a, you know, two and a half plus years in, in my last position, uh, you know, within the Indo-Pacific policy portfolio there, uh, South Asia, Southeast Asia, Oceania. Um, this is where I think there's room for real optimism. Uh, th this notion that, you know, the United States comparative advantage with its competitors is, is, is its dense network of allies and partners. Um, you know, when I would travel around the region in my former uh, Pentagon role, I would never ask, you never ask a country or a counterpart to choose between any two countries, you know, you know, for example, US and China, you, you ask them to choose, choose a vision for the future and, and you know, and, and, you know, and choose to cooperate with, with those countries to help them achieve that vision. And, and, and I tell you, it was encouraging. I can say, you know, definitively that we have a vision that's shared and embraced the United States vision for the future, certainly the region, you know, free and open region where rules-based order persists. Whereas, our, you know, our, our uh, the alternatives like China, it's usually a vision that has to be co-opted, coerced, and imposed, and, and, and it's very different. So, um, again, this this U.S.-China competition looks pretty grim when it when you just look at U.S. to China, but when if you look at U.S. and our, our allies and partners, you know, think think about the Quad. Think about this this great alliance of, of the region's largest democracies: India, Japan, Australia, United States, for example. Or you know, AUKUS. So this this new uh, this new initiative between Australia and, and the UK, which is more than, than submarines. It's about a whole lot of technology cooperation. That's when the scales look pretty tilted, extremely in the favor of 
uh, I, and I won't say U.S. and our and partners between those who have a shared vision for the future uh, and, and those who, who, who have those like China, who's, you know, maybe they, who are their allies and partners, you know, maybe uh, North Korea, you know, Pakistan on a good day. I mean, it's, it's, it looks pretty, pretty grim for them and, and as well as Russia. Um, so I, I think our, our real opportunity is, is to better leverage this, this comparative advantage. And that, that means a lot of technology cooperation. Uh, you know, Steve Blank and I were just on a, on a call with some of the leadership of, of India's uh, kind of DIU equivalent, the Innovations for Defense Excellence, just, just a couple nights ago. Um, and this is, a, you know, I, I rushed on, I traveled to Delhi back in 2018 to meet, meet with a, the people kind of planning this to, to give them some thoughts on how they might develop this greater innovation capacity. I, I just met today with the former Indian Defense Minister, current Indian Finance Minister, along with, uh, you know, Jim Mattis, our former Secretary of Defense and talked about our collaboration, cooperation on, on, on the tech side. So there's just so many opportunities, uh, Vago, for, for us to really bring so much more to the table uh, uh, as not just the United States to compete, but, but with, with all the many allies and partners that, that have a shared vision with, with, with the United States and want to cooperate on the technology side to get there. And there's so many things that every country can bring something new to the table that maybe the United States can't do. Think about um, all the things that Australia can do or India can do or uh, the many other of our clo close, close, close partners, Japan. So... Um, I hope I didn't stir off too much from your question, Vago, but I just couldn't help but just pile on to Steve's answer to your question about the, the, the potential for bringing more allies and partners. You know, I, I will say like our, our Gordon Nutzer uh, hosted a, a conference here in December at the request of the National Security Council, Tarun Chopper, whom you may know, our Senior Director for Technology and National Security, and, and used our convening power and, and location in Silicon Valley to bring bringing some really uh, extraordinary people together uh, to look at what was called the quad technology working groups. You know, this is the quad, you know, India, Japan, US, right. Australia are working in various technology areas. So there's just so many opportunities to exploit. And, and this, this area of allies and partner cooperation really gives me room for hope and optimism that, that we are going to compete and compete effectively against you know, those competitors like Russia and China who share a very different vision for the future. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, real pleasure. Uh, looking forward to having you guys uh, back on uh, together or independently. And one of these days, maybe we can uh, rope uh, Raj uh, into this as well. Thanks so very much for joining us, Steve. Uh, thank you for taking so much time, especially in the middle of uh, in between uh, lectures. Uh, and um, uh, and Joe, thank you so much uh, for uh, the time as, as well. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for having us. And now a word from our sponsor, retired United States Army Major General Jeff Schlosser, who is the Executive Vice President for Strategic Pursuits at Bell. We've been building creative and innovative aircraft, next generation types of capabilities for almost nine decades. Bell is the company that can deliver that. Thanks very much, sir. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please follow our daily podcasts and visit the Defense and Aerospace Report website to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook at Defense and Aerospace Report and check us out on LinkedIn and stay tuned for our weekly cyber report sponsored by Northrop Grumman. Thanks again to Bell for their generous sponsorship and we'll see you again tomorrow.